0: With D20 radio, where gamers roll.
1: www.d20radio.com. Thought for the day sorrow awaits the foolhardy. Chroniclers and welcome to episode 89 of the Grimdark podcast. This is James and this is Mike. If you join us for the first time we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium. We follow any game system that will do it but right now we're following the development of Wrath and Glory the new gaming system by Ulysses North or North America uh, where they are going to be bringing a new system around Gen Con we're thinking.
0: Yeah. Uh, but um, we also I have to say I thought yeah. we'd already discussed this from now on we're just going to call them Ulysses.
1: Ulysses okay sorry my mistake. Uh, but we also do cover off the history, obviously, with the Fantasy Flight Games line and uh, general stuff about GW and, and uh, 40k as well. So yep. uh, if you are joining us first time, welcome. If you're back for another, another exciting adventure, then uh, today we're going to be picking up where we left off with our, uh, our three part series. It is a three part series. This is definitely the final part. I've definitely written the notes. definitely part. the final part of bringing you up to the knowledge of what's going on in the Dark Millennium. Yep. Dark, Dark Imperium, sorry. Dark Millennium was a terrible thing. Uh, Dark Imperium, and uh, we will also be uh, talking about just the general general developments in um, in the GW world, what's going on with with 40k. And also, I can tell you now a little bit more than I could previously about my recent trip to Frankfurt to visit the offices of Ulysses. Uh, Now, also, we tend to, at the start of each show, just talk about our own gaming experiences over the past, about a month it's been. I think we've been pretty slack with the two-weekly show at the moment. It's just been, life has been difficult uh, but, uh, so let's just see We have been playing a lot of 40k Well, I've been playing a lot of 40k You've been playing a lot of I, I've, I've played it. some 40k yeah, That's it, you have played some I've I, I played, I think, twice Just in the last week alone And I seem to alternate between Either really, really doing well Or really doing poorly I don't, I don't have an average game um, I, I went to play a game last week At a, a store that was 1,850 points versus Orcs And the other player put out Like a 1,000 or 997 point stomp on the board I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible, and I actually cakewalked that game. It was just uh, the really, really bad rolling on the part of the player, as such. Which
0: uh, it's luck also... is
1: always a factor. It's the one thing you can't beat.
0: Yeah, but from what but, you told me, he took a shooty stomper, and with their ballistic skill of five, it's not exactly surprising that it did poorly.
1: That's though. it. Yeah, and only one squad of boys. You know, so I, I was worried for, about the infantry charge, and after I took out his one squad of boys, then that was it. it was just there was no infantry. Yeah, it's it dealing with dealing with trucks and etc. So. Yeah, look, it was it was all right, but then I, I I then turned around and lost the game horribly on the weekend against a friend with my Grey Knights, where I was absolutely decimated. The only reason I did well points wise then was because he took out half his force with a bad Perils of the Warp roll. So, <laughs> but you know, I, we did actually in the last month have a game where we played two versus two as well, so two yeah. Imperial versus two Chaos. That was, I think, a fun game, probably less so for the for yourself, but uh. oh,
0: it was okay. I think it was just. Bit of poor setup on Chaos' part, but otherwise,
1: you know. Not yeah, it's it. one side didn't really get into the battle until halfway through, so you were sort of carrying that side. Well, I don't want to say too much, because I know, I know that person listens to our show as well, so <laughs>
0: it was, you know, just... It was a team tactic thing, not, not an individual thing, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> that's it. No, but, we just set up poorly. We didn't communicate properly about where we were going to put things, and it hampered us. Yeah.
1: Uh, what else? So we haven't played any D&D for a while now, because our D&D GM has been sort of tied up with... It's been available, but just been hasn't had the time to plan the the chronicle out as such. And we did actually decide to recently pick up um, the Star Wars system again, uh, fresh. You know, starting an Age of Rebellion game rather than Yes, fresh. like we did last time. What do you mean? What's, what do you Are oh, bitter? Are you? Is that uh, what it's about?
0: No, it's not so much that. It's just that it's one of those games where starting characters really suck. Is you stop? Yeah, yeah. It's the entire money thing. You start with a oh, okay. pistol it, a and maybe. Perhaps. Some tough clothes, and that's it. Okay, yeah, so Okay, I mean, right. Even Luke Skywalker started with a land speeder. <laughs>
1: we have it, less it was, gear
0: was, than was, a dirt poor farmer on Tatooine. It was his
1: uncle's land speeder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> look, I mean, you're right. So I, I, I don't think it's a case of the carriers being less capable, it's the carriers being less equipped. That's probably yeah. where you're coming from. Uh, and because being a rebellion game, there isn't a lot of guidance on how you sort of work out gear from the rebellion pay from the rebellion it's a bit more granular i think in yeah. edge of the empire as well so but yeah look, i think we're having a good time and it, uh for our player jimbo which his first time playing the system so he's sort of it's always fun introducing a new player to that system i think because it's quite a different thing for what most people yeah. are used to i, mean, I think I, i've run Numenera recently i've run scion recently that's all still going quite well so yeah a bit of gaming um there's less less podcasting at the moment, but uh, yeah. Yeah, as, as more and more stuff comes out, Wrath and Glory will get back into a, a rhythm again because we'll need to sort of be covering news, you know, week to week as it all comes to hand. So
0: yeah, once we've actually got something to report, we can start reporting.
1: That's it. All right. Well, on that topic, let's go straight into our news section. Commanded knowledge, accessing mm-hmm. imperial archives. Okay, so for the news, I think on the Wrath and Glory side, we haven't really seen any designer updates since the one where Ross sort of gave us an introduction to all the various. People that will be working um, on the game with him. Yep. Um, but uh, we did see recently that, uh, as it was posted on on Facebook and on uh, Twitter, that uh, Ulysses put up a video on YouTube, which includes an interview with myself after my experience play testing the game in their office. So I can now say now it's been announced that I, I did get to play test the game. I can't really say much about the the game itself. Um, it was the session was recorded. They did actually record the whole session. Uh, and so the hope is that uh, at some point in the future, Ulysses might put that um, that session up, and that might be a good way for people to see how the actual how the game system works. So um, what I can say first off, and I, and I can sort of repeat some of things I said in the um, in the interview, is that I've got this, I guess, a theory or opinion when it comes to creating uh, your own game. So I I've tried my hand a couple of times at creating systems as well, creating something from scratch, and. The times I've tried to do it is because I've wanted to build a game built around a established and known intellectual property. And so I've tried to build a system which uh, plays to the unique features of that IP. So I don't know if I've discussed this on the show before, but the example I use is that at one point I wanted to create a role-playing game based on the Matrix trilogy, because I had some involvement in the actual films themselves. And uh, one of the things I struggled with was from the point of view, well, first off, you've got the the dual nature of the characters being the sort of the physical versus the in the matrix setting, but also the concept of how do you handle power creep when the characters can just go, Oh, load me up a piloting helicopter program or, you know, flick a switch. and I now know Kung Fu. Uh, So when I, (laughs) stop shaking your head. So so when I, (laughs) I'm not shaking my head. (laughs) So when I built that system, I sort of had to come up with this whole concept around the fact that character development in the game limits your memory capacity. So sure enough, you can have whatever skills you want loaded, but there are limitations to how many things you can have loaded at once. And as your character develops, that allows you to have more diversity by having more things sort of loaded into memory at one time as such. Uh, But then once again, that was all built around trying to create a unique system feature that fed into that IP. So let's talk about doing a system for a new game in any case. So I think that if you're just saying, I'm going to set out to create generic Fantasy System 6, whatever, you know, or just something that is not built around IP. It's my own setting. It's my own story. I need to make sure that I come up with some really innovative things in my system that act as a draw. You know, no one wants to just have another generic fantasy world that's now being played in Savage Worlds because that system works and it's just... why, Why would I pick that up versus any other Savage Worlds or any other fantasy system as such? You know, I need to have something that's quite unique. Alternatively you're creating a gaming system which is, is built around a, an established IP. yeah, uh, you know, Something that is going to draw people in simply because it's that. You know, it's Star Wars, it's Star Trek, it's 1x40k, it's turn your phone off, Mike. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Domino's uh,
0: needs me to know there's a 40% <laughs> off sale. What can <laughs> I do?
1: That's true. Uh, in which case... Uh, you can you when know, you're creating a system, yeah, it's nice to it's certainly nice to try and put in unique features that feed that narrative you're building it around, but you don't need to overdo it, you know. Uh, and, and, I, and I see that with what I played at Ulysses, which is a, a game where the the system that we we play with fed the 40k universe um, directly. It wasn't earth shatteringly different, you know. I mean, it was a, a dice ball system. Um, yeah, you know, we know it's a dice system with d6s. So I can say that you know, I play Shadowrun and I can see similarities with run and such um, but uh, yeah it, it worked you know, it was simplistic it was fast to pick up um, you know there were uh, players at the table in that in that session who had never played the game before and had picked it up and were understanding it and were rolling without needing guidance very very quickly yeah so I think that, that that's a good step you know I can certainly see influences on Ross from other game systems he's worked on in the past. Uh, And other things I I imagine he likes as well. So I I know that Ross, as a person, likes, you know, um, champions, the old hero system. He likes superhero stuff. He likes mecha games as well, like Battletech as well. So I was, I I guess, looking for elements that I could sort of see the Rossisms creeping into it as well. But uh, uh, I I know that uh, some people that that have not been involved in playtests in the past, um, I used to wonder why when the first the first time i read an nda for a playtest and i have playtested various computer and role-playing games in the past um is i wondered why you could never discuss after the fact the rules that you played in the playtest that were not eventually used or were changed or scrapped for the final release you know so i played this game and in this game um you know the rule was blah but by the time i got to release the rule had changed to something else uh, why I couldn't go and tell my friends, oh, yeah, it used to be like this in the playtest, but now it's released, it's like this. Uh, and I can sort of see that now, especially being a person who's in product management myself, why um, you do that, because, yeah, some players might go, oh, yeah, they should have left it like that. You know, and, and they're suddenly now comparing it to what could have been, rather than simply playing what has been given to them. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know, that, I think there's a long time between now and Gen Con when they're talking about trying to release this, so there may be significant changes from what I played. It could be quite different, so... I guess we'll wait and see what happens, what they do with the video that, that we recorded then. Uh, I really can't say a lot more about the, the session other than the fact that I, I got to play it. And once again, a big thank you to,
0: okay. to Ulysses for hosting that. But, yeah. I have a couple of questions which you might be able to answer. Okay, no worries, I'll, I'll okay. do my best. Do you feel that the game thematically still feels like 40k? Yeah,
1: yeah, I do. Okay. I, I mean, I, I'll throw throw in the, the caveat there though that all of the players who were playing I think were 40k you know, proficient themselves, yep. and so therefore, you know, you could, you could always pick up any game system and start playing uh, a 40k role playing game if you if you if you are bringing the setting with you to the table as well. Yeah, but,
0: but there are certain things w- in which are sort of 40k inherent. I'd yeah, no, that's it. No, you know, the, if the system just doesn't do it, yep. it won't feel like 40k. And I'm just asking, you know, are those sort of things still there or
1: yeah, no, it, yeah, it, done, okay, nothing that we did took me away from the 40k feel. I guess that, that, that was the main
0: thing. Okay, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then the next thing is, do you feel that the system would allow for mass-style combat engagements? So, against a big group of cultists, can you go in and massacre a whole bunch of them? Or is it sort of very granular, single one-on-one fights sort of thing?
1: Um, so, I don't know whether you'd really see the same thing we saw with games like Death Watch, where you could have literally a, h- a horde of 100... 100-
0: Gaunt, no, I'm not, stuff, not you know, talking I mean, about like a hundred gaunts or, or cultists, but you know, it, even the very first game, Dark Heresy. You're playing it, and you go into a fight, and you, you want to have
1: 15. You want to have 10 it, cultists, yeah. even
0: just 10 cultists. Look, co- suddenly the game here, takes forever.
1: Combat here was very fast. Okay. Yeah, it was one of the fastest combat systems I played, and it didn't feel like it lost something because of that speed. Uh, okay. And I think that you know, adding in more opponents, always adding in more opponents, is going to be more dice rolled more stuff is done, more wounds are taken, whatever the case may be. But I don't think it would push the game out to unacceptable lengths and such to have that. So I would say that it would it would happily support larger-scale combats. I don't know if they're going to go with things like mass warfare rules or, or horde systems like we saw in, in Death Watch. But uh, actually, that's one thing I do want to point out was that out of all the game systems that I compared it to, I never found myself comparing it to Dark Heresy or Rogue Trader or Death Watch. You know, it really did stand-alone as a game, okay. Know. So
0: it felt completely new.
1: It did, it did. from a, From a system point of view, I, I didn't really see other than like you know, uh, okay, you, you might you might see things like strength, for example, still appearing, you know. But strength is in a lot of in a lot of uh, role playing <laughs> games as well, you know. So yeah, uh, n- nothing straight away went. Oh, yeah, they just copied that from Dark Heresy Rogue Trader, etc. I think it was uh, it was distinct and that was good. I think in and of itself as well. Yeah, uh, and because. I didn't bring it up during the interview, but the interviewer did. So um, I'm happy to say that, or I will say that, uh, there is a, a card mechanic in the game. Yeah. So so along with the dice mechanic, there is a uh, a, a random card mechanic. Uh, which when when it was first sort of introduced to me, my first sort of thought was, oh, I'm not sure about this because um, the problem with with that is, and I mentioned it during the interview, but I have played games in the past that have a card mechanic. You've got two options. Either you buy the official card deck or you print them. And I hate the idea of using printed, you know, just laser printed cards in card sleeves. I'd rather have like a good quality card. Uh, but also in both those games I had, which are games I've had for a long, long time, and we're talking about West End Games, Shadow Zone and here, um, Is is I've got no idea where the cards for those two games are. So if I was to go and play those games today, I couldn't use the cards. That's okay in those games because those games have a system that allows you to play without the cards. Yeah. So, um, you know, certainly we use the cards in our playtest at Ulysses, and hopefully we'll see something in the in the future where the card becomes either something that is easily accessible or easily droppable if you don't want to use them or it doesn't suit the style of your play as well. It's up to... Yeah, we'll see. I think I think that having a chat with Ross, and that Ross is always fun to, to catch up with and, and have a chat with as well. And, you know, we nerd off about the, the same things like 40K and BattleTech and that sort of stuff, so... He had he had some really great opinions about the Marvel films that I, I, I quite liked as well. The Marvel Cinematic Universe that yeah. that, 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 that man knows his stuff too. So, um, but certainly yeah, it was good to catch up, and uh, I'm looking forward to when more information comes out about it as well. So I can talk more about the playtest I mean, when that video comes out. I'll be like information overload. So, but uh, yeah, that, that's it. So uh, yeah, so we'll see more about Ulysses in in hopefully there'll be a designer diary or designer update for for November as well. Yep. Um, what about the GW side, Mike? I mean, I think we're seeing that they're... We've now seen plan to release Chapter Approved in yeah, December. Yeah,
0: they've announced Chapter Approved. Codex Tyranids out, and it's very good. Yep. Um, as a Tyranid player who's been shafted since 2nd edition, <laughs> I, I feel relieved to I, finally have an army that can do the things that they were always saying I, Tyranids can do.
1: I told you, Mike, I've been watching lots of battle reports on YouTube, and I've yet to see a Codex Tyranid force lose a battle.
0: I'm no. sure I'll be able to manage it <laughs> um, yeah I, I mean Timonids are out and they look good no new models unfortunately but you know maybe in the future we'll get something yeah um, they've announced got Blood Angels Dark Angels on the way and Demons in the new year Code uh, sorry Chapter Approved has been announced and it should be out early December I, I think, think so I that's
1: right yeah, along with their new Battle Forces as well so they're doing oh. what like Janester the Colts Orcs Tau and Guardsmen yeah it's a yeah. battle boxes for the I'd, I didn't even know they did Battle Forces every year until now I've been wanting every now and again I go to a game and see they've got this big box of like
0: random know, things random
1: stuff like when did they do this this is great you know if I was collecting an army I'd be all over that you know so yeah. Uh, and yeah I'm collecting Imperial Guard right now so I'm, I'll be all over that you know uh.
0: it's a good amount it's a good amount of infantry in the box as well it's not things that a very specialist, I think. yeah. Thirty-six model tank in the Guardsman box, for example. So, you yeah. know, two, two tanks, mostly infantry.
1: Yeah, two tanks, a Sentinel, a group of Ogryn, a command squad, and two regular squads. You know, so yeah, and that's good and for two hundred eighty Australian dollars. And I think if you did the maths on it, you'd find that that would be about four hundred dollars if you bought them yeah. all separately. So, or
0: you can buy one Mortarian for that. Yeah, <laughs> and have a little bit of money left over yeah you know
1: I, 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 I'd probably back one more terran against a Lehman Russ a Chimera <laughs> you know a, a Sentinel three Ogren, two squads and a command squad so <laughs> yeah
0: probably but even so yeah, it yeah a little, it's yeah. a little annoying
1: <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah so, that, so that's a nice thing um, yeah probably not much else going on in the meta right now we're going to cover off the, um, the storyline today up until the sort of current point and I, I double checked as well because it's now been what well, it was June that uh, Dark, Dark Imperium was released and so yep. the, the storyline that's advanced on Dark Imperium really has only gone as far as the Plague Wars so yeah um, yeah,
0: but- they, they have announced a new set of Blood Angels books oh, yeah. uh, inv- I think it's Invasion at Baal or devastation at Baal or or something like
1: that. May Baal get screwed again.
0: Baal gets screwed (laughs) again. Yeah, it's the the Tyranids invading Baal and all that stuff. We know mostly, we we know the sort of broad strokes of what occurs there from from some of the other codexes, from the Death Guard codex and Tyranid codex, and probably we'll see a lot more from the Blood Angels codex. Um,
1: Did I read somewhere, is this correct, that in the Tyranids codex there's a new Hive Fleet that hasn't previously been unknown. That's been sort of named, or there are been... a couple. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, you're probably thinking of Tiamat.
1: Okay, yeah,
0: not nice uh, traditional yeah. name there. <laughs> and they're a bit different from all the others because they're actually guarding something while the two build a giant, great, big ant hive type thing okay. pyramid. Yeah. Who knows?
1: What are those um, Tyranid things that are like a giant beehive, like floating beehive sort of thing that... Um...
0: Uh, Sporocysts.
1: Okay, i would never seen one of those before. I saw one in a recent in a recent uh, online video. So Yeah,
0: you can have them as... Um, there's Tyrannocytes okay. and Sporocysts. Uh, tyrannocytes are like a drop pod type tank thing. Okay. It's a transport okay. that can drop pod down and then move around. And Sporocysts are things that drop pod down and turn into bunkers okay
1: <laughs> I guess yeah you, you need it I guess well, you know yeah. fortifications are important so yeah,
0: especially if you can just land them wherever you need
1: yeah we're actually trying to put together a um, uh, like a little mini campaign for us sort a of group of friends which are doing 40k just to, just like a narrative sort of storyline to put around having a few fights and I was thinking we should start off with another. 2v2 fight and do it as like a planet strike like the initial sort of invasion and and, and go from there storyline wise and uh yeah maybe even do like a meat grinder for the first mission yeah, yeah. meat grinder is always fun <laughs> yeah that's it uh so what else i mean the computer game wise i haven't really seen much going on with the 40k stuff there was a recent humble bundle for 40k but by the time this podcast has rolled around that's all that's all done and gone now but uh yeah so i haven't sort of seen any new announcements and just watching the development of uh, uh, Inquisitor Martyr as well. Yeah, and, yeah, that's plodding
0: um, along quite nicely by lots yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah, getting more, Still
1: getting good reviews. Yeah, getting more and more advanced every time I look at it at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: and they're, they're fixing the issues that we saw in, in earlier. Run throughs of it, like shooting being absolutely worthless, it looks like they've fixed that mostly now, yeah, or oh, melee being absolutely worthless it was,
1: wasn't it I, I, yeah, I, melee yeah, being melee, absolutely yes, worthless, yes. that's right it's, it's, it's sort of like the only place that really worked for me was to run in to engage things and then run backwards, shooting at them, you know, hoping <laughs> they never
0: get close enough to it you,
1: you, you never get pushed back to the start zone where you can't fall back any further,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So it was very much like you know Diablo 1. There's problems with Diablo 1, I recall. So, yeah. But no, I think, I think it's improved substantially along the way as well. So we'll see that. And I've actually been quite enjoying playing Sanctus Reach. And there is now actually an Imperial Guard pack out with Sanctus Reach. I haven't tried yet. So I should give it one to go because it, it, people say... I've played it now. People say it is the closest computer game to actually playing turn-based 40k. And now the system is nothing like 40k. But it is a turn-based strategy game in the 40k universe with 40k troops. The, rule, the, the way the rule set is organised is completely distinct from the war game, but it's a lot of fun, and it's really well put together as well, so I quite like it. It reminds me somewhat of um, XCOM, you know, the XCOM yeah, games yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, so, so
0: you guys turn and shoot their buddies in the back, say, no, like, no, three no. feet away?
1: It's not that bad, but it does... Occasionally, um, you get up in situations where... The game's not clear what is a is a square blocked by terrain and what's a square that's not and what terrain can you shoot through or not. Like I've had situations yep. where they've been next to a window but the you know the side on the other side of the window is completely un, unattackable terrain and the group can't move through the window and they've got to go around a long way. Ah, yeah, yeah. So.
0: But, but no but no guy running up with a demolition pack to get into the spaceship, suddenly gets scared, drops at his own feet, spins around on the spot several times You're and
1: explodes. Very bitter about XCOM. <laughs> and it was, was only the original, like, the micro-pros 1980s games. that were yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> The recent XCOM 1 and XCOM 2 have actually been really good games, I think. So
0: I wouldn't say really good, but they've been good. Yeah, look, they're, they're, it's I, I'm a fickle
1: person. I buy a lot of games and never finish them. I have finished both XCOM 1 and XCOM 2 recently, so it, the fact that I've actually gone through and finished a game is usually a fair indictment that, well, it's not that it's good, it's just that I like it. Yeah, but, okay. Uh, yeah. All right, so that's it for the news. So let's get into uh, the main part of the show. Yep. Knowledge is how Hide it well. Okay, onto our uh, our grand tale of uh, the the Dark Imperium. Now, do you remember where we last left off, Mike? No. Okay. So Guliman had just arrived on Terra, yep. having defeated uh, Magnus on Luna. The uh, the Fallen had been arrested uh, that had helped him get out of the uh, the Maelstrom, and uh, yeah, he's ready for his new life on Terra. Uh, okay, so upon arriving on Terra, Gulliman, uh basically entered the chambers of the Golden Throne, hoping to. I don't know what converse with the emperor. <laughs> See
0: his daddy
1: exactly. Yeah. Well, he spent a whole day there, and <laughs> uh, and when he emerged, he declared that uh, he would now reorganise the Imperium under his leadership as the Lord Commander of the Imperium, Imperial Regent, and living hand of the Emperor. So I've seen that this is aside from the story. This has caused quite a lot of sort of controversy in the fan base. There are quite a lot of fans who are really against the whole Gulliman. A lot of people are sort of like saying that like it's. A new sort of Goulman heresy or whatever that sort of stuff, you know, that uh uh this guy's obviously dodgy, he's just taken over and the Emperor doesn't want this to be the case and
0: I'm pretty sure the Emperor doesn't have much saying he's <laughs> a <of> complete vegetable. <laughs>
1: um I I don't think personally I don't think that GW is setting Gulman up to be a bad guy. No, nah. I I think that, you know, he is on face value what he appears to be here. But certainly it's caused quite a, a backlash from some of the fan base as well about he just don't like Gulliman.
0: Yeah. I, but, I think it's less that they don't like Gulliman and more that they don't like the perceived favouritism that the Ultramarines receive from various yeah. writers. Yeah, but
1: I mean, you're mean you always the one who's been speaking about the perceived favouritism on Space Wolves, though. I no. Mean, yeah.
0: uh, rules-wise, Space Wolves get a lot of bonuses over everyone else. Yeah. Just look at Shadow wise Look at
1: Shadow where they're the only ones that get half the options. Yeah. yeah.
0: Law-wise... Ultramarines always. I mean, you've even got that that famous quote from from Matt Ward, where he wrote essentially that all other chapters venerate Robert Gilliman even more than their own Primarch in some cases. That's it. What absolute garbage!
1: I like. I was reading today on uh, Bell of Lost Souls. There was a recent like an AMA with Andy Chambers. Yeah. And the first question I asked him was, you know, which faction do you hate the most, and why is it Tau? <laughs> <laughs> But,
0: uh, anyway.
1: No, I don't want that bad. That's right, That's, yeah. and he got up and defended them as well. so <laughs> That's a funny question. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, Gulliman recognized the fact that there was a need to reinforce the Imperium in the aftermath of you know the, the Darkness and the, the Great Rift. Uh, so he turned to Belisarius Call. Uh, at this point, we find out that um, back in the aftermath of the Horus Heresy, Gulliman had actually given Call access to the Sang-Paris, uh Portum, pretty much the genetic data collected from the original Primarchs and charged him with creating the next breed of Astartes, you know, whatever that may be, even though he recognized that they might take Call 10,000 plus years to do. Uh, And of course, Call's been working on this that whole time, and he has basically perfected something he calls the Primaris Marines. Uh, Pretty much, Marine like standard Adeptus Astartes, who have been enhanced by the addition of three new organs the sinew coils, uh, the Belisarian furnace, and the Magnificat. Uh, the Magnificat is pretty much a thumbnail-sized nodule that goes into the brain um, that triggers, uh, effectively, um, the, the hormones that lead to the, you know, the body's size, effectively, and therefore you end up with a much larger, much stronger, much faster marine. Uh, now, from what, we, what we've been told is that the Magnificat was originally in two parts. Uh, basically part for the left-hand side of the brain, part for the right-hand side of the brain. Core was only able to reconstruct the right-hand node as such, and so the left-hand node um, was lost, destroyed, whatever the case may be, which is why Primaris Marines, despite being greater than uh, regular Marines, are still not the equal of the Primarchs.
0: Yeah, because an army of Primarchs couldn't possibly go wrong.
1: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, Gulliman did specify that uh, Core was only to make... Um, Primaris Marines from the gene seed of the Primarchs who remain loyal.
0: Absolutely, yeah, I'm but... sure Cor would possibly consider doing something he wasn't told.
1: <laughs> uh, anyway, so and, and Cor had you know made thousands of these Marines and placed them into uh, stasis, mainly aboard his ship, the Um And so uh, they then basically started the Ultima Founding, the first uh, one of the largest foundings ever of Primaris Marines both into existing chapters and creating a whole bunch of new ones as well. Yeah. Uh, so at this point in time as well, the impact of the Great Rift and also the subsequent dimming of the Astronomicon had meant that for the first time, warp rifts and warp storms could actually form near Terra you know, in, in the solar system. Um, and so sudden warp storms had an adverse effect on the population of Terra. You know, people went mad upon seeing the warp. New cults formed. Um, yeah, the general decay of society began. And at this point in time, Korn himself saw this as an opportunity to actually strike at Terra. Despite the fact the other chaos gods felt they wanted to have a more planned out approach. The thing with Terra, Korn's just like, and going in, you know, screw you guys, Leroy Jenkins. And um, he basically summoned a, or, or directed a cohort of, well, 88 demonic cohorts down to Terra to attack the Imperial Palace in what became known as the Second Battle of Terra. Um, this is the point in time when Gulliman and the new Primrose Marines turn up, turn the tide of battle, and, uh, and, and win the day, casting Korn's forces back into the warp, before the Astronomicon started to slowly reignite and, um, once again protect Terra, although the High Lords of Terra are now quite aware of the fact that Terra is no longer a, a complete safe haven from the forces of the warp. Um, they are exposed now more than ever. Uh... So Gulliman declared that a new crusade was required to recover the lost worlds of man, much as the Emperor had um, during the fall of Old Knight. Uh, and he named the new crusade the Indominus Crusade. Um, the fourth basically consisted of about a dozen Space Marine chapters led by the Imperial Fists. They also included elements of the Imperial Guard, the Mechanicus, the Adeptus Custodes, the Adeptus Sororitus, the Imperial Navy, the Scutari, the Legio Cybernetica, the Collegia Titanica, uh, and finally, the Sisters of Silence. So this massive Crusade force that was actually somewhat slow in its progress because um, with the astronomical column still dimmed, they can only really do short, j- short, short jumps at a time to be safe travelling through the warp. Uh, their first major victory, though, was to liberate the Shrine World of Ophelia 7, which is actually one of the combat worlds of the of Thoratis, from a greater demon of Zeench known as the Tyrant of Blue Flame. Uh, so and then proceeded in moving from planet to planet, attempting to lift the, the veil of chaos from the various uh, various worlds. By the time they reached Catachan, the populace of Catachan had actually already cast off their demonic overlords, <laughs> had, already, had already actually won their planet back, because, of course, you know, yeah, once again, favoured sons of, uh, of DW. But uh, in this case, uh, it was seen that with the Astronomicon strengthening and actually starting to burn away the darkness that had infected the southern edge of the galaxy... Uh, and stories reaching the populaces of Gulliman in battle, um, some had actually believed that it was actually the Emperor returned. Uh, and so, yeah, morale was suddenly a lot higher, and these worlds were actually beginning to fight back, thinking that, you know, once again, mankind is, is on the rise. Uh, Gulliman began to feel that he was getting a bit too bogged down in, in battles of attrition. Um, so he had to actually increase the pace of the Crusade, literally occasionally saying, this world is just not worth fighting over, exterminatus. Um, because it's going to take too much time and incur too many losses to, uh, to recover it. Um, at one point, he actually would draw his forces from the entire system, um, the primogenesis system. Uh, otherwise, he would have basically been drawn into a costly war with the Alpha Legion. So he pretty much just left the system you know, in the hands of, of chaos. the Alpha yeah. Exactly, which couldn't, couldn't end poorly at all. Um, so we get to the point now that the crusade itself is about 100 years old. Um Calls vaults aboard the Zarkway have pretty much run dry. You know he, he can no longer manufacture you know, enough weapons, enough Primaris Marines to continue his part of the battle. So he effectively leaves the Crusade Fleet uh to go and basically unearth other vaults he created. Not to he didn't have, have Primaris Marines on board his ship. He also had hidden vaults all over the Imperium to, in order to generate stashed more, away, stashed away. Yeah, just yeah. just for you know, in a case of, in case of heresy, break glass. Um, but, uh, Gulen was pretty much making slow progress now and had also begun to hear rumors of an attack onto, um, uh, onto the crag, basically. And, uh, so he waited for the next major victory, which was a, a devastating success at the Pit of Raucus, um, over a force of wordbearers, Black Legion, Iron Warriors, Lords of Pain, um, and he basically, once he won that day, he declared that a great victory, had a whole celebration much the same way that the Emperor did following the defeat of the Orcs at Ullinor, and effectively declared the Crusade complete, and dispersed the various Crusade forces uh, back into the, the Imperium as a whole. So, during this whole time, um, Nurgle had sort of start started to form designs upon uh, claiming... McCrag and the rest of the Ultramar, and and adding it to his uh, to his garden, so to speak. Uh, And to that end, he dispatched a force of um, Death Guard under the command of Mortarian directly uh, into the region itself. Um, He took along with him his his two, uh, uh, I guess, generals, being First Captain Typhus and the Great Unclean One uh, Kugath. Uh, So, although they had a decent sized force, uh, Mortarian wasn't able to. Attack McCrag directly. The, the force wasn't quite that big. So instead, what he did was he um, uh, began attacking and, and pretty much slaughtering the populations of some of the smaller, less defended worlds around uh, around McCrag and also using those worlds as a jumping off point in order to effectively uh, probe at McCrag and provoke Gulliman into some sort of response. Um, so Gulliman eventually did arrive to help. Um, liberate the worlds. The first world he liberated was the world of Ardium, uh, where it's there he learned that Mortarion had been so successful because he had command of an army of plague engines, and that in the battles that were uh, fought, any of the Imperial dead uh, would then rise as plague zombies under Mortarion's command. Yeah. Um, Gul'dan was able to learn that Mortarion had actually achieved this through the use of an artifact known as the Hand of Darkness, Uh, Mortarian himself, uh, then invaded the system of Konor, which is, if you've been into a GW store recently, you might've seen the whole battle of Konor. This was effectively a campaign fought out by people playing games and painting miniatures and buying miniatures in GW stores. And the the various points accrued by each faction sort of contributed to the narrative outcome of Konor. So although the Death Guard was successful in destroying the system's astropathic relay and also the Aeronautica Imperialis facilities, the system itself actually remained in Imperial hands. At the same time, Gulliman led an attack not against Mortarion's force, but against the rear of his force uh, on the world of Ispandor, planning to try and cut Mortarion off from reinforcement from the Scourge stars. Uh, at the same time, he worked through the Ulthrae uh, Farseer Eldrath um to dispatch Ivrain to try and steal the Hand of Darkness from the Garden of No. Uh, Avrain was able to basically use the Tears of Aisha um, to tread her path uh, from the Black Library into the garden, because we know that Aisha has been claimed by Nurgle at some point in the past, yeah. and, and steal the hand from a, a demon Nurgle there, which effectively cut off Mortarion from his source of new plague engines and new plague zombies. Um, at the same time, Gorman also sent um, Katarina Grayfax off to claim another artifact known as the Eye of Night, which is something that Herbaden had previously used in order to seize control of the Blackstone Fortress during the Gothic War, but I don't see really, other than the story of how she claimed to claim that, I don't see that being used at all in the remainder of the Plague War, so that might have something still, some some, some part to play still, definitely.
0: Something to happen further down the track.
1: Exactly right, yeah. So Mortarion basically had his, his retreat to um, the Scourge Stars cut off, as well as his ability to replenish both Plague Engines and Plague Zombies.
0: Not entirely. No. It's... Because plague zombies can still be raised the old-fashioned way yeah, not, by not, disease.
1: Not, yeah, not quite on, as en masse as he could with the Hand of Darkness, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, the Imperial and Death Guard forces met for a huge battle, a titanic battle, on the world of um, Uh, Pimin- uh Gulun managed to carry the day, slaying Kurgas lieutenant, um, but it did come at the cost of the life of the chapter master of the Nova Marines, Barden uh, davaro Devor- who was killed in the the space battle above the world um, sucks for any Nova Marine players
0: out there. I'm sure yes. both of them are very sad.
1: <laughs> That's a cool paint job, blue and white. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Imperial forces were then then pursued mortarians forces to the world of Iax, um, where Gulam and Mortarian finally fought one another. Of um, course, they could only really fight each other to a standstill. I don't know how that would go in the war game, putting Gulam up against Mortarian. I think that.
0: Mortarian would kick mortarian his ass.
1: Mortarian would kick his ass, yeah. I think that every time I've seen Goulmin against mortarian it's been Goulmin plus others. Yeah. Like Goulmin and some Terminators, or Goulmin and, you know, it's just... Yeah. Mano mon- on- mono, mono a mano, I think that mortarian has got the edge there. But in this particular case, um, neither side could win. Um, and at this point, Mortarian also learned from his connection to Nurgle that the other Chaos Gods had chosen to use this opportunity to go and try and claim regions of the Scourge Stars for themselves. And it actually attacked... Nurgle's, uh, Nurgle's, um, home territory with Mortarian and his forces away. So, uh, Mortarion fled the battle, uh, under the cover of virus bombing,
0: mm. as you do. <laughs>
1: um, and, and that effectively resulted in the end of the, uh, of the plague wars. Uh, that's pretty much where the, the 40k narrative now, now ends. Um, the, there has been a story that, uh, uh, Marnius Calgar also had something called the Vengeance Crusade, Vengeance Campaign against Orcs in the region, but it's it's a minor sort of, it's it's a skirmish, let's call it. And uh, there's been some more writings about what Emily Vale's been up to in the time since then too, but uh, to be honest, uh, that's really where the meta is today. Yeah. So, going back to what we know of Wrath and Glory in relation to this as well. So, to give us a scope for time of Wrath and Glory, all we really have to go on right now is the... Fiction that was included in the, um, uh, the samples product they had at Gen Con this year. And in that, you know, it's certainly, we know it's certainly Dark Imperium. In fact, we know that um, Imperium Nihilus is, we don't know if the Dark Imperium is the name of the first campaign setting for Wrath and Glory. Uh, and we know that, well, I think we, people have surmised based upon the artwork that Primaris Marines will be an option uh, or at least will at least will appear in the game, in some capacity. Because one one of the artworks they put forward had a whole bunch of um, Primaris Imperial fists, for example. So obviously, it's safe to say it's post the Great Rift. Because um, remember, because Dark Heresy Roadtrip, they were always behind where the meta was up to, weren't they? Like, like I oh, think, oh yeah, substantial, Substantially, Like like even like a pre, of
0: hundred years.
1: Like pre rediscovery the Necrons as well, for example, wasn't it? Yes. So when the Necrons first appeared in Death Watch, it was sort of like. We have never seen these things before as such. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so I'm wondering whether they will with with Wrath and Glory maybe focus it on literally that that early days of the Dark Imperium. But then again that that sort of limits how readily the Primaris Marines would be available to participate as well. So
0: I suppose you could set it at the point where Gulliman finally gets over to the other side. Yeah,
1: so like midway through the Indominus Crusade sort of thing. Yeah, it
0: still gives you a good fifty years of play.
1: Yeah. Because I think, I, I think just reading it, they wanted to sort of play up that uh, the isolation side of the Dark Imperium as such. You know yeah, that yeah. that you know support from terror is still limited, communication is still limited. And I can see that being a, a, quite a compelling setting. It's uh, we've spoken on the show in the past so much. We like post-apocalyptic settings as such, and, and it's almost post-apocalyptic on a galactic scale as well. Yeah, you know. So um, yeah, I can see that contributing to it. So. You now know, based upon whatever options you want to play, the rough lay of the land, you know, that uh, the Primaris Marines now exist and are in most chapters and plus new chapters, that Kimora is now beset by demons that emerged through um, through Kane's Gate, uh, that Terror is no longer safe from demonic attack as well, that, you know, that the, the, uh, the warp storms that could form around Terror have meant that the world itself is also exposed to attack, that... Um, yeah, that Chaos forces have been emboldened by their victories, and that there are still worlds out there within the Imperium that were unable to be saved and literally had to be skipped by the Indominus Crusade in order to get a move on. So, yeah, I guess that's your sort of setting concept going into Wrath and Glory. You know, could you work with that, Mike? If you're, a, you know, you could yeah, come up with plenty of plot hooks within that. You sort can of come thing. up
0: with plenty of plot hooks for it. Yeah. I mean, planetary invasions—probably easy. Yeah. If you want to do that sort of very combat-heavy marines and all that sort of thing. But I suppose if you want to go for a more dark heresy-style Inquisition play. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, plenty of cults and problems going on with the Astronomicon being blocked and communications and governors suddenly deciding that maybe they don't have to pay their tithes anymore. <laughs>
1: It's one of the things I like about this setting in general is that, you know, if you go to the base level, so you say, okay, we want to play a bunch of Necromunda-style gangers, you know, Necromunda's coming out now next week again, so it's going to get a lot of, lot of sort of support for that. I could say that, you know, I've got... This gang has been fighting with another gang for years over control of this one old underhive sump. You know, and literally, you know, that could be the scope of your campaign where these two gangs are fighting over, you know, a big room yeah (laughs) uh and and their world doesn't exist beyond the corridors and facilities that you know one day
0: the chosen one will appear and turn the spigot (laughs) that's it
1: um you know conversely at the far end you know you could be playing rogue traders who can freely move their way around the entirety of the imperium and go beyond the edge of the halo stars if they so choose and you know uh, it's one of the things that I've said in the past when I, I liked the game of Dark Heroes our friend Pat ran where we'd, yeah, we went from planet to planet a couple of times but when we were on a planet that planet became a major campaign point and like all the sort of locations and people and events going on there we wouldn't have been thinking about going to the next place because we were focused on the individual plot around us in this, this environment so yeah, I think that um, yeah you can literally go from yeah, gangers fighting over a sump to you know Political machinations on a world between the various great hive cities, to you know multiple worlds in the same system competing over resources, to that sort of you know multi multi system sector campaign like you have with Calixis, to a, to a truly sort of universal campaign or galactic campaign, I should say in this case. So yeah, yeah, you agree? Yep.
0: Yeah. Plus, mm-hmm. of course, you play TuneIn.
1: <laughs> so know that we still all, all we know is that you know. What's Ross's line you kept using at GenCon? You know, that's important to me. I'd like to include that. You know, I'd like to include what's important to me. I don't know if it'll be in there, but it's important to me. You know? so, yeah. so we'll see if uh, if Quick uh, Quick Crack Crack is you know a possible player character for you. No, in the I future. don't see why not. <laughs> it would go so well with like a squad of guardsmen or no, a you know... couple of
0: sisters of battle plus a gaunt. <laughs>
1: <It's>... <laughs> If you're a good GM, you can make it work. A very, a very understanding GM, I think. It's a very understanding Very drunk GM. That's it. Okay. So it's our pet Gaunt. That's it. He doesn't bother anyone. We just leave him be half the time. Anyway, so that's it for our. our We're caught you up in history. Okay, so let's, uh, I think, move on now to closing out the show. Okay. All astropaths to the choir chamber. Message incoming. So, at this point in the show, we normally talk about any sort of communications we've had, things going on in our world uh, since last show. So, we did have a, a nice comment from a guy named Toby on Facebook, just about uh, recently joining our show and enjoying the episodes following the development of Wrath and Glory. So, thank you very much, Toby, for those kind of words. Uh, also, on our Twitter account, we actually um, uh, spoke recently with a, a guy named um, Rob Farker, who does a, uh, another podcast called uh, Only in Death which is everything that we promised you it never delivered in form of a actual play sort of thing of, uh, of uh, Death Watch. Uh, so I listened to the, um, the first episode of that one recently and uh, uh, it's the, the production quality puts us to shame because uh, Rob is actually a professional uh, voice artist and I think has a, a, a much greater knowledge of delivering um, high quality audio. Yeah. Uh, whereas we're, we're more sort of talentless hacks who just do this on a laptop with a, with a playing play a microphone. But that uh, no, certainly uh, it was it. Was a good, um, good podcast and uh, a lot of interesting sort of stuff there. Also, um, I also picked up another podcast you referred me to called "Paid to Play" podcast, which is one that's more about sort of finding ways to actually uh, get paid for doing the things that you love as well. So, uh, okay. uh, so you know, it's, it's the, the, the podcast tree groweth <laughs> in various directions. But I'd certainly encourage you to check out um, "Only in Death" uh, an RPG podcast, which we will link from. Our, uh, from our pages, We'll also link the, um, uh, the Ulysses uh, video that was put up on YouTube too. So yep. uh, you can check that one out if you haven't done so already. If you do want to contact us, you can do so through many methods. You can email us, show at grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. We tweet through at grimdartpodcast as well. Uh, that's really the best way. They're the best way to get us. I think that we haven't had any um, voicemail messages through our website for a long, long time, and that's costing me like sixty bucks a year. So I think I'm going to give SpeakPipe up and just, and just focus on normal written written uh, responses. I think
0: you should never have taken it up in the first place. But it's
1: yeah. something other podcasts have done, and I've also submitted. I have also like to other podcasts I've listened to. You have used SpeakPipe to you know, give them content too. So. But look, at the end of the day, we still get fantastic communications through Facebook and other things as well. So yeah. um, having the audio there doesn't make too too big a difference. But uh, yeah, so if you do, if you enjoyed the show, please like us on, on uh, or comment and review us on iTunes or uh, whatever other messages you might find. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the show today. Uh, we'll be you know, back again in the near future with more information about Wrath and Glory as it comes to hand. Uh, check out the stuff that we've already posted and uh, enjoy it. So we'll catch you next time. This podcast is not endorsed by or filled with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer For 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights reserved are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Bibio's Media Cali. Music.mibo.com